When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling Mean and angry Hear those co-hosts shouting All right, welcome to the latest edition of Hear That Podcast. Growling, Paul Diener Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you. How are we doing, Jay? I'm doing great. Hamilton is a buzz today. The Little what? League team the little league team won their World Series game mm. last night. The Queen of Hearts is $350,000 tonight, which oh I fully God. intend to win. So, yeah, there's Same a lot going on in this town. I mean, how many people will show up at the Queen of Hearts Uh Wait, what's the bar? Is it? It's the Avenue. Um, yeah. It it. There was a lot last week. I took a picture from the parking lot, and then my old paper, the Journal News, actually used my photo for a story they wrote on it. Um, it I, I went in last night to buy some tickets, and the line was out the door to buy tickets. I think the the media coverage and just everybody. It's getting down to the final. There's only nine cards left. Everybody knows it's got to hit soon. It's it's insane. I feel sorry for those bartenders. I mean that's. From open to close, that's all they're doing is selling tickets. Every now and then, someone orders a drink. They get tipped. They get tipped oh. for selling raffle tickets. Well, my my tab was sixteen because I did have a couple beers last night, and and I threw the bartender a twenty dollar tip. I just they're working hard, appreciate it. They're not just being angry. They're having fun with it, even though you know it's driving. It's just wearing them out. So I hope everybody else is doing the same. If you have time, uh, lots of time. Uh, head on out to the avenue, and maybe you'll win three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, you basically need your whole day. You're gonna need your whole day. Uh, we'll 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 discuss that another time. We'll talk about Bengals. Um, we got a bunch of things we want to get to. We want to talk a little bit about the Joseph Osai injury. Um, and I'm gonna. A lot of people have asked the same question about it, and I didn't want you to hear my answer and think that I know what I'm talking about. So I went to one of the preeminent doctors on the topic to give you an answer. So you'll hear from uh, Dr. Mandelbaum, Dr. Bert Mandelbaum, who is more boring than his name sounds. However, he has great information in regards to the <laughs> Joseph Osai injury, if you're interested. Um we have uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about the fifty three cuts that are coming and and some of the risers fallers. Talk a little bit about um, where we're looking on the back of the roster as they kind of focus in on that. Uh, we're gonna talk about the chase drops, of course, but through a little bit different lens. You're gonna hear from offensive coordinator Brian Callahan about how they're handling it internally, and we're gonna kind of discuss how they're handling it internally. We've heard from a lot of people on that. And Brian talked to me after practice yesterday, and I thought there's some really interesting stuff in there. Um, so I'm just going to bring you a lot of that to hear from him coming up. Of course, for the millionth time, the one once more into the breach, my friends, uh, on Bur- should Burrow play in the preseason, what should it look like? We can uh, discuss that. Jay, you've got some stats, preseason stats, which might not be sad as a whole, but because their preseason stats are inherently sad. 
that yes they are but it's it, it, the, the fact that i even bothered to look these up is kind of sad but it, Bengal fans you, you have to take all this with a grain of salt but it is it is reversing a trend and it is therefore not sad uh the these particular stats uh, so we got that and then a little bit more on, on some of the practices that we've seen the last couple of days. We're about to round that out, Jay. We've got obviously their starting game week prep. This is sort of regular season schedule, Sunday game. This is what it's going to be for the most part the rest of the season, and that's Tuesday, Players Day off, Wednesday, Thursday, two of your harder practices, Friday, light walkthrough, um, easy practice, day off Saturday, play the game Sunday, rinse, repeat from now until January. Um, so we're starting that now, and we'll, we'll be able to go in training camp style and watch two more practices, as um, is stated in the NFL-NFLPA agreement. Uh, and then the 26th, one of my favorite days of the year, Jay. They kick us out after 30 minutes. <laughs> yes, you don't have to wait. stay. You don't have to stay. Not, not have to. I do enjoy the insight of getting to watch full practices. I really do. It's one of the best parts of our job. Training camp is fun. It is also really freaking hot right now. <laughs> it has been so. This is the hottest camp I can remember. And we have been doing a lot of sweating. So we, have, we have to hang out out there. There's no shade. You're just out there baking. You're trying to see what you can see you sweat it'll be nice after 30 minutes where they say all right you can go back into the air conditioning now i'll, t- I'll take that for now plus the Bengals imported all these little bitey flies to bug oh. us during practice it's been brutal my my legs are bitten up but nobody wants to hear about this let's talk about um <laughs> we'll, we'll get through some news and then we'll get into uh, some of the bigger topics Let, let's start with osai um an injury you know I kind of caught wind of this early, but you know the the official stance from the team has kind of been the same the whole time. They're they're officially on, still looking for stuff that's more conclusive. But the reports out there and and can confirm it. I mean, expect expectation is he's out for the year uh, with a meniscus injury. You know, he it, it did happen in the game against Tampa, but. I don't think he noticed it as much. I mean, he was feeling like maybe there's a little something going on in his knee, but you're so focused on your wrist hurting and thinking that that's a serious injury. He was just kind of like, I think he was just kind of focused on that. And then the next day is like, by the way, my knees kind of continued to hurt me too. And then they look at it and what do you find? But the meniscus injury and it's not a light injury. It's a serious one. And he's out for the year, which is a brutal blow. Um, which I want to talk about in a second, but first, because a lot of you have asked the same question, and I, and I had the same question as well. Meniscus, I you know I hear meniscus and I think see you in a few weeks, mm-hmm. um, and you know you see guys come back and play the next week, and I, and and I've heard that from a lot of people, and it, because it is, it's part of it. So I reached out to our sort of doctor helper to- folks uh, who always hook us up with some of the top docs, and. Um, Thanks to them for doing that, by the way. I got Dr. Bert Mandelbaum, who is the sports medicine specialist and orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai Curlin jove Institute in Los Angeles. He is the chief medical officer for the United States soccer team and for MLS. Uh, and he offered a thought on the different types of meniscus and how you could end up with a prognosis uh, this long for just a meniscus injury. Here's Dr. Mandelbaum. How you doing? 
I'm curious how much of a difference there is in meniscus tears and the difference in timelines that you see depending on what those look like. Well, I think you're asking a question that has different sides to it. And, you know, the many times people say, well, what's a meniscus tear? And, it, you know, there's not a binary part to it. It's not either or. Uh, and uh, when you hear and you work back the thinking from you'll be out for the year, usually insinuates that this is the kind of tear that's an unstable tear. Yeah. You know, the meniscus tears where you avulsa root, you know, the, the meniscus is a C-shaped structure that roots in the back and in the front. And when you pull that out of its root where it's supposed to be, then you have to put it back. You have to sew it back. You have to go through bone. And then it's going to take you about four to six months to really heal enough to play a sport like football. Yeah. Um, if it's a tear where the meniscus buckets and there's a good opportunity to repair and it, it's not at the root, but it's in a mid-substance and you could repair it. You put sutures in it, you put PRP in it, and it's going to take four to six months to get back. Now, if it's the kind of meniscus tear, the situation where it's a little flap, where you can go in there and just recontour it, you know, those are the kinds of things that they're out on a cane a few days, they start riding the bike the next day, and they're most of the time ready to play anywhere from three to six, eight weeks in that range. So there's different beasts, you know, and, and um, they're all meniscus tears, but there's different types, and they carry with it a very different prognosis. Uh, so good to hear from him to, you know, don't believe me, I'm not a doctor. I, that's why I talk to them. Uh, they tell me tell me what we're supposed to think. The bottom line is, yes, yeah, certain types of meniscus injuries, four to six months, and that leaves you out for the year. And it sucks, you know. I mean, because that might be what that might be the best defensive debut in a preseason game I've ever seen. <laughs> because it was against, I mean, he was against the starters. He was in there early. Zach Tom Brady. He he was making every play you want to see. And then to know that that's going to be the only time you see him this year, um, it's, it's tough, man. It's tough. It, yeah. I mean, that on its own is tough, but it's also one of their biggest area of needs. They draft three defensive ends, and he's now the second one that will be out for the year. And the third one is on the rehab field currently, not to believe, not believed to be serious cam sample shoulder, but um, this team just can't seem to catch a break when it comes to, to draft picks. It, either they draft them and they're they're already hurt and they're, they're hoping they'll get back soon and they don't, or this kind of thing happens. Um, you know, we saw it with Jonah Williams. It's just, it seems like every year they have a major training camp injury with a, with a draft pick. And this one really does. I mean, there was, there was a lot of excitement um, about just seeing him, seeing Osai in that 58, looking a lot like, you know, you talked about great debuts. I don't remember if it was Carl Lawson's first or second preseason game when he really stood out, but it, it was just, you just couldn't stop watching the guy. You know, I mean, you were there in person. I was watching it on TV and it was, you, you don't even do the watch the ball thing. It was just, just watch 58. So it, it sucks for him. It sucks for the team. It sucks for the fans. It's just bad all the way around. Yeah, I mean, I remember early. I believe, yeah, I believe it was. It was Carl Lawson's rookie year, maybe his second year, and they went to Washington in the preseason, and he was whipping Trent Williams, <laughs> and it was like, this is not 
a preseason thing because that's Trent Williams and he's out there trying. Okay. And, and so this was on par with that. I mean, this had that same type of feel and it's ironic the same week, you know, that we talk about Osai, we're also talking about Carl Lawson who popped his Achilles in Jets camp, which is just freaking awful. Those of you listen to the podcast, you, you know what kind of a, a a dude Carl Lawson is. You heard him before free agency, uh, which was maybe one of my favorite interviews ever. Um, and he was kind of he really wanted to start letting his personality out more, which is just hilarious and 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 interesting and and fun. And he was going to hit the New York market to do that, and they were loving him there. He was destroying camp. He was the talk of camp as he always is. And for that to happen, it just sucks. He was really – it felt like he was about to take off, you know. I mean, no no pun intended, but, like, it was just – that's – it's awful to see, but it happens, you know. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. And a part of this with Osai is you can't – the pressure was not on him. He he was not the starter. He was to come in and be a rotational guy. I, this doesn't change his long-term prognosis. I mean, I go back to William Jackson, right? I mean, you lose him for the year as a rookie, comes in the next year and and can still play great. I mean, and you still have a chance to get all the years out of him that you want. It sucks you won't see him right now. More pressure on Hubbard and Hendrickson to stay healthy, for sure, because you're going to have to lean on them more rather than rotating them out. Um, and more pressure on the interior guys to to bring the pass rush. You know, what do you do? Do you do you now use Cam Sample as the rotational pass rush? And I mean, he's got to be. You're you're not going to do that unless he can prove to be good. And maybe that's him coming in as the interior guy on passing downs next to Ogan Joby with Hubbard and Hendrickson on the outside. That what they had shown in Tampa was. Osai and Hendrickson on the outside and moving Hubbard inside actually with sample hmm. and having the having that as their sort of pass rush power. Um, I don't have a problem not taking Ogunjobi off the field necessarily, but you know, you, you do put more stress now on others when this goes away, but it's not, it's not like you're losing Hendrickson or you're losing Hubbard, the guys who are your starters or you're losing Ogunjobi. I, I think it, the fact that you were going to work him in, it's it's not as big of a loss. But I mean, I think what he showed and what he could be, um, you know, it's still it's still something that takes away some of your depth that you're definitely going to need at some point. Yeah, because we saw I, I should have called I should have pulled these up his exact alignment, but I, I don't remember seeing Cam Sample inside as much in Washington without Osai. He was he was more strictly an edge, and it creates an opening for Darius Hodge. I mean, he's He's undersized, but he he is fast, and he's he doesn't have great strength to to be an a every down pass rusher. But yeah, if you can bring him in on third down and and move Sam Hubbard inside, it it, it can still look pretty good, even even with the Osai injury. Um, it 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 sucks all the way around, but it does it creates a great opportunity, and they. You know, Zach is kind of downplayed, and and Lou too um, is kind of downplayed what Darius Hodge has done so far. I don't know if they're they're trying to uh, 
keep it on the down low, even though the film's out there in case they do end up cutting him and trying to sneak him through to the practice squad. Um, but it's, he has been impressive for an undrafted guy who changed positions. He was a linebacker in college. It's, it's been fun to watch and he will be definitely a guy to keep an eye on because he should get a ton of snaps in that Miami game on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, he's still there as Hodge undrafted free agent. Yeah. He's not Joseph Osai third round pick out of Texas. There's a, there's a, there's a ceiling there early. And, and, and these guys, I mean, guys come off the map all the time. Undrafted free agent. I'm not downplaying that. Um, but, for what they wanted that spot to look like and feel like even the best of Darius Hodge isn't going to, isn't going to get you to where you wanted to be. And so they brought in Noah Spence, which is really just a, just a flyer. I mean, he just got cut by the saints. So you're looking at, uh, he's not going to necessarily be the answer. I mean, you're just hoping that you get lucky and some change of scenery, bring something out of a guy who was a second round pick a few years ago. Um, But, you know, you're kind of searching a little bit, and it makes me wonder how open would they be? Will there be somebody at final cuts, maybe, that is a tough cut somewhere else? Um, or will there be a trade opportunity for you? You know, where do you have the – we talked about this last time, right? Where's your overage for somebody you're going to have to cut that you can trade? You know, well, last year, what, Austin Calitro for Christian Covington, right? Mm-hmm. None of that makes anybody excited. These those two those two names aren't going to make you perk up. But this is what we're talking about. Um, where's their overage? I don't know, Jay. Where do you see an overage here that that someone would actually be interested in? I don't. I don't know how much I do. I don't. I mean, the biggest overage is kicker, and I don't think anyone's going to trade for a kicker. Um, no. I, I wonder because there's still guys out there. There's still veteran guys out there that um for what like Geno Atkins um obviously there's edge guys too that could come in and help and if if they decide if they go the other way on Jesse Bates and don't sign him this year that gives them some more leeway to go out and sign one of those guys but he's starting from behind um I don't know I I haven't looked at enough of the the other teams rosters to see who who has overages and at defensive end and then where their needs might be and if it would match up with the Bengals. But I don't, I really don't see where the, the Bengals, I mean, they, it, they've, the DBs have played so well, but they're, they're thin at safety, even though they're, they're top heavy there. They don't have great depth at safety. And those cornerbacks, the, that five, six, seven cornerback spot, I don't know anybody's going to trade an edge guy for one of those. Who's trading so. for Tony Brown? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, that's what you're talking or maybe, I, know. I mean, maybe you're trying to get away with a receiver, but nobody's trading for Trent Taylor. No. You know, nobody. I mean, it's it, – they, they, they are not I, – I just don't see them working from a place of depth anywhere. You know, you know what's weird? They have so many of these middle guards on offense. It might be where you're talking about because you're, you know, I think you're looking at a chance of them keeping eleven. They probably keep ten, but I mean, where you could see them. But who's trading for Michael Jordan? Right. Who's trading for? I mean, maybe if you went all of a sudden, you all of a sudden decide you're not going to start Xavier Suofilo, you would trade him. And that's not. I just these are things that. 
I just don't see how I don't see and maybe they are maybe somebody's in such a hard up way that that they would be interested but I don't see them having tradeability to add there I think you turn internally you know a guy we haven't talked about because there's been injury there but we talked about before camp started was Khalid Kareem who was thought well the injury really slowed him and you're really going to get that jump and see who he can actually be this year when he's fully healthy and he needs to get fully healthy you know, you got to turn to him at some point too, and, and, and these people that you have here to to develop. Um, you've you, you've stockpiled the position the last couple of years of young people. Somebody's got to come through and and fill in. And it, it, it's the same story for Kareem. He, he's behind again. He's he missed a couple of weeks of practice. Now he's back. He just recently came back. But how quickly can can he give you some sort of impact off the edge? Um, that you're right. That is probably their best, best option at this, at this point, but it, what was he a fifth round pick? So again, it's, it's right there. He's, he's not third round pick Joseph Osai. It's, it's not, it's never going to look the way they, they wanted it look to look, but he is, he's not an undrafted guy. Who's just learning the NFL like Hodge. He does have a year in the league, um, and, Got a decent amount of snaps last year. His injury was in camp. He, he, I think, he played all sixteen games. He played a lot on special teams. So maybe that that's that is a guy that another one that should get a lot of snaps against Miami to kind of see where he's at. And the bottom line is the defense is the last thing you're worried about right now because True. they've played really well, and including against Washington for you know whatever two or three series against their starters in. You know they seem to really be coming together. I mean, Logan Wilson has played really well. He, you know, he had the forced fumble. He's made a lot of plays. Uh, the the corners have been really good. And don't forget, you now have you have Mike Hilton, who's one of the best blitzing slots in the NFL, who can help make up for that a little bit too, where you're a little bit more attacking in that way. Um, DJ Reader has looked spry. He looked he he had a a lot of. N- plays in a small sample size for uh somebody coming back from injury i just i'm not concerned there yet again it's a reserve piece so i from a unit that's played really well and looked really good and i think expectations are are higher than we thought they would be so as somebody tweeted it'd be something about how why does this happen every year i'm on the the Bring. I'm on the bridge. I'm going to jump. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so sick of it. And I was like, man, if if an injury to a third round backup defensive end is going to send you to the brink, like football ain't for you as a sport, because this happens everywhere, every team, every year, and it will happen to more prominent players than this on the Bengals team this year and on every team this year. This is what the NFL is. NFL's attrition, NFL's depth, stars and depth. Who's your quarterback? Who are your other stars? Where's your depth? Because that's how you win in the long run. And so you got to be able to handle Joseph Osai going out. And they probably got to be able to handle two more dudes on that defensive line going out for a game or two, or maybe hopefully not longer than that. But that's what it is. Um. Elsewhere on the 53, there are, to me, there's some other comings and goings. I have some of this in risers and followers. If you go to athletic.com, subscribe, of course, to get all of our coverage. Uh, but we, I was kind of writing on risers and followers a little bit. 
And I, there's a few guys that you, you mentioned, Darius Hodge. I think the Osai injury puts him on a 53. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it'd be really hard to see them not having him as not just 53, but active on game day, um, which he was maybe on the bubble before. So he's a beneficiary of that unfortunate injury. And, and I, I mean, Jalen Davis has to be on now. The For guy's sure. played it. He's earned it. And he looks a hell of a lot better than Tony Brown or or whatever. And and he can play the slot. He's he's made plays in coverage in Tampa. And he made plays tackling and putting his, you know, his face in the fan in Washington. Three stops. Um, not tackles, stops, plays for an offensive failure. Um, you know, I, I just think he's he's kind of shown that he can do it. He's obviously played, he's motivated. I mean, He's not going to be a shutdown corner, but for a guy who can get you through a few games and now has some confidence rolling, um, I like it. And your backup set up, because before, if you if you kept Tony Brown, Darius Phillips is kind of bumping inside to be your backup slot to Mike Hilton. I like this better. I like Phillips better on the outside, and I know he's undersized. I know he's not, all, you know... Lord knows we we know the Darius Phillips story about the pluses and minuses, but I just like him better on the outside where it's more time to make plays on the ball and, and maybe get some picks versus versus inside. And I think this allows you to do that with him as the outside backup. So I, I, I just, you know, he's got to be on the team. Well, yeah, you talk about what we've seen in the games, but what, what fans don't see, what we see every day in practice, you're writing down 35 a couple times. He's, he's making plays consistently in practice. And I think Darius Phillips too is kind of an underrated. We, we talk so much about the, the rise of Jalen Davis and how good the starters are playing. Phillips has played pretty well in both those preseason games. And he's always, like you said, he's that undersized guy. You're always worried about the injury risk. And if, if he's going to win that punt return job, that's just more chance to to take some shots. But he is he has quietly had a, a really impressive camp. Um, those those DBs have, have really kind of been the stars of camp so far. Yeah, I'd agree. And Phillips, you know, he's because he's smaller, you're still going to see what you saw, you know, that with the Diami Brown catch where they're going to throw up top over top of him. And, and try to take advantage of him that way, the same way they did with Donovan Peoples-Jones in the game winner against Cleveland last year. I mean, that's going to be the thing. But sometimes he's going to get you picked off. And, and that's important, too. And for a guy who's your, your fourth or fifth corner, you know, that, that's, I mean, that's part of the profile. You've got some pretty good safeties to give him some help over the top as well. Absolutely. Um, the other side of that is you mentioned Phillips with the punt return job. I think – We've got clarity at the back of the receiver room somewhat in that Trent Irwin has become part of the punt return group out there now. And that says, okay, and Darius has been the number one punt returner. So it's to me it says, all right, Darius, if you're going to be the backup corner, we're not as worried about you taking hits and punishment, and you're free to, to be our punt returner. And our safety punt returner, you know, um, would would be – in the old Alex Erickson role is Trent Irwin. And they put him back there to make sure he can handle it. They assume he could. He was not a guy out there catching punts at the beginning of camp. And they would, you know, they'd have four or five guys back there rotating through during practice. Uh, he is now, and he is in games. And they, I think they've seen everything they want to see from him. And they, because he's been really good as a receiver and he's beat out Trent Taylor, who you kind of thought was going to be that six 
guy potentially, but I think I think it's Trent Irwin now, and I think he's got a pretty solid lock on it to the point that I don't think I don't know how much we're going to even see of him on on Sunday. Yeah, Trent Taylor has been he he's had drop issues of his own um, quite a bit in practice, and I, I think that's a a big part of this where Trent Irwin takes shots to the head and still holds on to the ball and. You mentioned that that punt ro- the punt return rotation. I mean, they always would have Tyler Boyd back there fielding punts in practice, just as kind of that emergency guy. And he's not even doing that anymore. It 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 feels like that they've kind of removed that as an option. And and Trenton Irwin is going to be that guy where if Darius can't do it, he would step in. It just you can you can you can really read the tea leaves here that that Trenton Irwin is going to and he he played all right when they he came in last year and got some games in the slot. Um, late in the year with with Brandon Allen throwing to him. It was enough of a showing, and they really liked him coming out of Stanford. They tried to get him as a undrafted free agent, and he went to Miami, and then Miami ended up cutting him, and they went right back at him and, and got him here again. So this is a guy they've been high on for a long time, and he's taken advantage of his opportunity, and I do. I He's on my 53 at this point. I can't see anything that would change that on Sunday. The story that was told to me in passing when he first the first year that Irwin was here – um, so a year and a half ago, whatever, was that at in practice he was roasting Darquez Denard, and at the part at, at the part of that conversation, it was more about Darquez and like trying to figure out what they were going to bring him back, what he is, and we wonder now looking back on it, how much of that was Trent Irwin being a mm-hmm. kind of a surprise? That was a, I mean. I, that's a that's a real corner in the league who has continued to play in the league, um, and but you know I think you've seen parts of that. And every time we talk about Irwin, people talk about him as a surprise. If you're talking to a coach, they say, "Yeah, it's been great to see the continuation of what they've seen in the last few years." And that's somebody who has been on the practice. But you know, Alex Erickson had that lockdown, right? Like he had. Lots of NFL snaps as the backup slot and the punt returner, and he was reliable and trustworthy, and you knew who he was, and that's what you want out of that position, the backup slot. I mean, that's what you want, some sort of understanding of what you have, reliability. I mean, I think Irwin, this is his chance to, you know, to, to be that if and maybe be more. And who knows, but uh, I definitely think he's earned that and and – I'll I'll say locked it up. I yeah, I would think you're right. I don't see anything changing uh, on Sunday outside of you know injury changing something. Um, outside of that, I mean battles. I think Chris Chris Evans um, will be your third running back. Um, we still have Travion Williams is now back, but I don't. What can he do in a game where all it's all reserves out there to make anybody believe that he has to stay? when you're looking at lots of other positions where you need depth at Evans has been an unbelievable receiver. <laughs> he had another great catch on the, on a wheel route uh, on Monday. And I just think, you know, he's shown too much of what he can be in that role um, to not. And I think, I think you'll get Travion Williams on the practice squad. So I think, I think he's kind of won that one when we're looking at battle battles and risers and fallers. Yeah, and I thought Chris Evans 
I mean, he, he didn't have a great game running the ball, but I, I thought he showed improvement from game one to game two, running inside and not doing what they told him. You know, four of their five negative plays against Tampa were were Chris Evans runs, and he they you know they said you can't you can't make those kind of moves that you made in at Michigan, and he took that to heart and he was hitting the hole. And um, for he's not a big guy, but he ran hard inside, and that's that's still part of his development as will be pass pro but man he is he is something else as a receiver that that the, the wheel route you were talking about it was from Brandon Allen and it almost looked like Brandon Allen overthrew him and Chris Evans kind of hit another gear and had to like really reach out it was it, it didn't just drop into his hands he had to reach out and get it and he made it and we just seen him make those kind of catches over and over again in practice if you're looking for it, uh, Joe Dan and Fox 19 had great video of it. I retweeted uh, to take a look. You can see how Evans chases it down and catches it on his fingertips and keeps going. It was just a, a really nice play, but something that we've seen a lot from him uh, during camp. All right, let's just take a quick break. Well, as we talk a little bit about drops and nice catches, let's let's hop into the Jamar Chase conversation here. Um. Here's what I want to talk about. So let's recap where we're at. Obviously, we know what happened in the game. On Friday, we talked about it in the walkout. What the, what what to make of these drops? What what are they? Are they something? Are they nothing? Are they point of concern? You know, I I think what has happened is you see, look the the. We're only a few weeks away from the opener. This is not about Jamar Chase's career. This is this is not about who he can be in the end. Okay, this is about who is he right now. He's he's going up the learning curve to get to who he's going to be eventually. How long is that going to take? Because in the meantime, this team has to go win games, and a lot's riding on them going to win games early in this season with this schedule with the pressure on the staff, everything. So how long will that take for him to get up to speed and and be comfortable with a point where he's not thinking about it? He's not slow with his eyes. He's not dropping the ball. Well, so you think, okay, just a game, come back, bounce back. Well, Sunday's practice, first ball in 11s thrown to him, drop. Playing out, drop. Then... Later on, next ball he sees in seven on seven, runs a great route along the back of the goal line um, in a red zone drill. Burrow puts an absolute dime right on him, drop, interception, Von Bell, Von Bell running the other way. And it's like, what is going on here? Chase kind of comes around. He lets out a loud F-bomb. Burrow comes over, gives him a tap on the helmet. Then he walks over, and he's kind of standing by himself. You know, with the towels as they break for the next drill, and CJ Uzama kind of comes over to him and talks to him for a second, gives him a little shoulder pat, and, and, and moves on. Everybody understands this is an issue. Everybody understands this is something he's going to have to work through, and they're all trying to help him. To me, the, the conversation right now is how are they trying to help him? A. And B, how long will that take? So, in, and then. With that, C, does that mean early on you need to ease him in snaps-wise with with giving a little bit more to a guy like Auden Tate, who, by the way, catches everything? It, 
as part of the easing in process. So those are sort of, the, to me, the topics out there at this point. Let's start with me talking with offensive coordinator Brian Callahan after practice um, on Monday about a lot of the things surrounding that, which included Jamar Chase having a really nice day Monday where he caught a couple of balls, including a really nice touchdown in a red zone drill, kind of twisting, grabbing the ball at the front pylon. So on a day that the whole Bengals offense had good, even hit a deep ball to T. Higgins. But let's talk about Chase here. Here's Brian Callahan. How you doing? With like the stuff with the drops, how do you work with something like that? Is that a don't work on it as much? It's like, I don't know if it's like better out of mind for a guy that's never had a problem with it, or it's easier to just like, no, let's talk about it, let's rep it, let's figure out how to fix it. What's the, is there a balance in there? There's a balance. Yeah. And to me, the balance is always going to be, anybody can go out there and be like, catch the ball. Yeah. You're like, great coaching point. You know? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so... You, what you try to do, it's almost like anytime you're in a slump, right? You don't really want to talk about the slump. You just kind of got to work your way through it. And me yelling and getting all mad and Zach getting all mad and everybody getting on him all the time doesn't do any good. Like He knows he's supposed to catch the ball. And so you balance that with what 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 are you doing specifically? What What is the problem? Are your eyes late? Are your hands late? Uh, what What is the, the core of the, of the issue? Uh, are you worried about what's around you? Are, is there what... What is it that we're missing? Is, are your eyes coming off the ball when you're going to make the catch, which have happened a few times? Uh, and you try to work on those things as yeah. opposed to the actual just catching of the football. You try to find what it is that's causing the drop yeah. or, or what's uncomfortable at the catch point that, you know, maybe he feels that we don't know. Yeah. Maybe he, as he comes out of the break, the ball got on him way faster than he thought it was going to. And now his eyes and hands are late and, and it jumps on him and now it's a drop. And yeah. so... There's a ton of drills. Troy's always doing stuff with them. They're probably out here right now somewhere. But Troy does a lot of, like, tennis ball drills. Yeah. So tennis balls off the walls, eye hands, tracking balls, moving through all those things. Like, there's things you can do to drill it without making it feel like just catch the ball. And then all you're thinking about is catching the ball, and then it just spirals out of control. Right. You try to avoid that part where you're saying, man, just if you don't talk about it. Just work through it, and, and you find your way through. It's like... You don't want to make it more of a mental thing, right? right? It's like, because yeah. when something like that comes out of nowhere, it's confusing for everybody. Because it's like, but yeah. it happens. Like we were talking with T and with TV today, and they, everybody goes through stretches at some point, yep. has it. It's just a matter of like working through it. But for you, when you, it's, it feels worse when you're okay. We're now twenty days from the opener, right? That's when it kind of feels like a little more than it, than it would be. You feel the urgency. Yeah. You know, you feel what it what it's, like this is happening for real here really fast. Like, yeah. it's not April anymore. You know, we're, we're playing in a very short amount of time and it counts. Uh, and you only get so many of those opportunities. Yeah. And so you do feel that. Uh, yeah. I think like a good example is like, Shermer fumbled like, uh, maybe at one point it felt like he fumbled at least two snaps a day yeah. for like five straight days. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and it was just the same thing. It was like, you just... He's so you get so far in your own head, yeah, yeah. that an act of something so simple, taking a snap or just catching the ball, becomes this monster that you got to. Yeah. So you try to keep it from getting to that point where it's like, all right, was the technique of the route right? Is he doing the right things everywhere else up to the catch point? If that's yeah. the, if that's the case, then we'll work through anything, any drop that happens. Right. Um, there was a uh, Frank Pollock sent me an article. I don't know where he had it, but there was a huge article about uh, kind of a re- not revisionist history, but Looking back on Jerry Rice's first year in San Francisco, okay. Mike Trainer wrote it, I think maybe in 2000 and 
six or something like that. Okay. It's like a some anniversary piece on that. Well, they they talked about like the fans were booing him. They, he was almost benched. Like all this stuff. Yeah. And Bill Walsh had to stand up in front of the media and be like, "Nope, it's gonna come. He's gonna be fine." Yeah. Like it was a whole big thing, which I never remembered. I was right. like a year old when that happened. Yeah. But, <laughs> I thought it was just an interesting piece. I like guess here's arguably yeah. the greatest receiver in the history of football. Yeah. Had struggles as well that he had to work through. It's yeah. just part of it, I think. Do you send that along to Jamar? Like, hey, I mean, Jerry Rice. Like, yeah, I think, know. I mean, he sent it, Frank sent it to me and Troy and Zach as it's just yeah. kind of a, I don't know where he got it or if he, yeah. Because he was, he was with that team, I think maybe three years later after that. But, you know, he, he yeah. knew some of the things that went on. I think he was kind of sharing his perspective of, this isn't the first time this has ever happened. Right. Well, it's like we were talking with T last year and about how, you know, the first couple of games, I mean, he wasn't even really hardly in there, the hamstring, and he wasn't. Yeah. He was still really figuring things out, catches a couple of touchdowns in Philly, and then it just sort of, like, starts to build on itself. Yeah. And, like, and that's a very, very normal progression, yes. you know, but because you're number five overall and, the, and you're going to be the starter and you're replacing A.J. Green, people yeah. think you're going to be 2015 A.J. Green from day one. That's just a hard thing to try to live up to. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if I remember correctly, A.J. had struggles too. Yeah, that first he year. He only caught one ball in, his, in the opening. Yeah. We have this game when he touched down, but he, but he was only one. It was only one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, there's a, there, it, it is, it's hard. It's hard to, to tr- make the transition because yeah. everything's, everything's faster, everybody's better. The things that you were generally better at than whoever you played against don't show up anymore. You have to be, you have to be detailed. You have to be sharp in what your and what your plan is versus whatever coverage you're seeing. You have to see the coverage. You have to feel the leverage. You got to do all these things that generally are pretty new. Yeah. Uh, even at the highest, even Jamar, who played against like seven or eight drafted corners, those aren't eight-year veterans that have played a lot of football yeah. that aren't afraid of you. You know. Yes. Um, <laughs> So it just, and it's good. It's been good for him. His learning curve has been steep, and he's managed to get through it, but it hasn't been without its, without its issues. Yeah. Okay, so there's uh, there's office coordinator Brian Callahan, as we talked after practice, um, uh, you know, uh, about all these types of things. Here's what I loved. I loved Frank Pollock sending the story about Jerry Rice to Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan, the story about how Bill Walsh had to stand up in front of the media, Jerry Rice's rookie year, and tell everybody it's going to be okay, he's going to be fine, he's not a bust, I'm going to keep playing with him, you'll see, I'm going to stick with him, while the whole media in San Francisco freaked out about, is it his gloves, like, <laughs> is it is it his hands, is he working too hard, is, he, is his work ethic not good enough here, what's going on with this guy Rice? This isn't going to work out. And eventually it worked out. But it was Jerry Rice rookie bust was the story, right? And it was all about the proper retrospective. And I actually went back and found the link to the story. from It's on Football Outsiders by Mike Tanier. He wrote it in 2006. But Frank Pollock remembered it because he was with the Niners in 1990. And that was part of the story at that point when people would laugh about how good Jerry Rice was and about how I guess he wasn't a bust. So... Again, this isn't about his career, but there is stuff in there about how to handle this. At a certain point, you just got to believe in the guy. And they are. I, I mean, I'd say that, Jay, right? I mean, I, I th- there has been zero backing down of standing totally behind Jamar Chase and just helping him work through it and understand that this, he's going to get through this and be fine. 
Yeah, every guy you talk to says that he's going to be great in this league. He's going to be fine. I remember talking to CJ Uzama last week. It was last Tuesday because Jamar Chase had this great practice and it felt like he turned a corner and then it went back south again after that. And and CJ talking about how like he would give him shit when he dropped the ball. And, and that was, you know, his way of trying to kind of loosen him up and and, you know, maybe trying to make him laugh and shake it off and move on to the next play. And that. That's not what was going on on that practice on Sunday when CJ approached him. He kind of did, you know, like a little everything's going to be okay shoulder massage and kind of patted him on the shoulder. And you could tell it's different. And I I asked, too, I asked T. Higgins that because I wonder if a a rookie comes in and he's lighting it up and then he has a drop. Maybe he gets some razzing in the film room when they're watching the film of practice. And um I wonder if there was some of that early that where it wasn't just CJ, it was other guys kind of talking shit to him. And then if that has changed where they're like, okay, maybe, maybe we need to lay off that a little bit and let this guy work through it. Um, it, it was noticeable that yes, they're always, they're always going to cheer and celebrate when, when the offense scores a touchdown, but it was, there was a little more to it yesterday when chase caught that ball off the front pylon that you were talking about the kind of the twisting catch you, you could tell that, I think everybody kind of exhaled there a little bit. It's like, okay, that's that's who they drafted. That's what they expect. And, you know, every time he makes a play like that, you 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 just think he's turned the corner. It's it's gonna it's gonna come around. Uh you you don't know how how it would be great to be inside those meetings and, and see how he's approached, but it, it does feel like, you know, they they've kind of dialed back a little bit and they're just they're it's not even even saying everything's going to be OK can get in a guy's head. Just if there's a drop, sometimes the best thing to do is is not approach them and, and let them work it out on their own. Yeah, Brian. Brian kind of talked about that a little bit about the mental balance of let's not make this a mental issue. I, I don't need to tell you you need to catch the ball. You don't need to hear me say that. No one needs to yell at anybody about that stuff. It's about it's not an issue. It is an issue. Let's talk through how to how to work through it if we need to. But really, I go back to T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, who we talked to uh, on Monday. And it was them talking about their first couple of years. And Higgins last year, I mean, people forget. I mean, he had the hamstring thing, but he was healthy the first couple of games. He just didn't play much. John Ross did. And it took Higgins a while to really kind of get going. And he has a game in Philly where he catches a couple touchdowns to give him some confidence, but he also has a drop on a ball where he said he showed his hands too early that would have probably won them the game. And he still remembers it clearly to that day. Snaps off the answer to to a a drop that he remembers about that's the one. That's what stands up. And that's week three last year. And then by the time you got kind of a couple weeks after that, the indie game, when when he really goes off and catches the deep ball, then T. Higgins starts to roll and start to become himself. You're you're midseason at that point. What really is the difference between and this is any rookie receiver? You get spoiled watching Justin Jefferson. That is the outlier, man. Like the, these these guys may be able to come in and play fast sometimes. That happens. That is the outlier. The average of a really good receiver is probably more like what you saw from even and Higgins is kind of on the outlier of really. It takes you some time. By the time you hit midseason, you really start to hit your stride. Because you're number five overall and all those things, it's like, man, there's that. He needs to come in and be that dude. I mean, like we said, A.J. Green caught one ball in his first game. It was a game we touched down, but he caught one ball. 
uh, and they weren't covering him. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it takes time, even for the great ones. And so this is not about his career. So let's go back to the other part of the question we asked before this. How long do you wait? How do you handle that waiting time? I think you have to be having real conversations about what role Auden Tate can have in easing this transition to help it not cost you games. Right? Am I off on this? Am I being crazy? No. I mean, third down. That That's where if, if Jamar Chase has a drop on first or second down, you know, it's like a penalty. It, it sets you back, but you can overcome it. If, if you have a drop on third down, you're punting. Uh, and, and Auden Tate is just kind of built to be a third down guy. I, I could see them really kind of limiting Jamar's snaps on third down and, and maybe even give him a series off and let Auden Tate get in there for the, the, the better part. Maybe not an entire series if it ends up being a long drive, but let Auden Tate start a series and ease Jamar Chase in. The flip side of that is, you know, do you, do you target him a lot early and try to get him going? Because yes, that could be the outcome of that. If he has two catches, three catches on a couple targets on the opening drive, all of a sudden, maybe all those drops are forgotten and he just takes off. The other, the other side of it, of course, is if the drops happen again early in the season opener, how much does he get back in his own head and, and where does it go from there? It is, it's a delicate balance, but I do think we're going to see, particularly early, the first quarter of the season, that we're going to see a lot more of Auden Tate than maybe we expected when they drafted Jamar Chase. Yeah, I think you take it week by week, you know, and and you do this with a lot of rookies. I mean, ease them in. There's no there's no need to shove them in there. Ninety percent, you know, give them a chance to 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 dip his toes in the water a little bit. Um, if is that a seventy thirty split in favor of Chase? Is that sixty forty? Is you know what is that? Is it fifty fifty? I don't I don't know. They got to figure out what that is. Maybe it's certain packages that go by feel even in the game. You know, if Chase comes in and he's playing well and he's roasting Patrick Peterson and he's catching the ball, then don't worry about it. Um, but you just kind of see as you go there, and then you and you assess that and go week to week, and eventually you'll end up at the point where Jamar Chase is your guy. Is that week two? Is that week three? Is that week nine? I don't know. But I, I think for week one, I think you have to have some – and Auden Tate was always going to have a role. Um, But – how much of a role was sort of you wouldn't think in a role that would be taking Jamar Chase off the field a lot. And I don't, it won't end up that way, but I think early on you got to consider it. I asked Zach Taylor about that specifically. Do you need to start to consider Auden Tate and, and how he can help Jamar Chase? And the answer was that's exactly the type of stuff that can help Jamar Chase is we have a lot of other people that have been very consistent and reliable that can, that can help him acclimate. It was a very long winded answer that, that wasn't necessarily a direct answer to the question of like, is he going to play more? But it wasn't a denial at all. And it was saying, yeah, all T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, the tight ends have been consistent. Tate is, is been consistent. Like, you know what he is. All of those guys being there as other options, take the pressure off of chase. And I think that's what they, they want to do. They want to, they don't want this guy to feel that kind of pressure that, is being cast upon him from the outside that has been cast upon him since the moment they drafted him, you know, and it doesn't help. I'm sure he doesn't notice, but everybody else does when, you know, the team's commercial, like the, 
the Bengals draft Jamar Chase is like how they pump up the you should come <laughs> to the games. You know, it's like <laughs> all this stuff. It's like that's what they're leaning into. That's what the expectation is. And it, it's a lot on a guy um, that's out there. And and then when you start getting in your own head is when it becomes a problem. And they just can't let that be what's happening now. Yeah, and you mentioned the the T. Higgins play and how he overcame that. Tyler Boyd had – I mean, he didn't hesitate at all either when we asked him if he had to play. He, he went right to his – debut game against the Jets and remembered a specific play and then if people remember week two that year uh, they were in Pittsburgh driving for the game winning score and, and Tyler Boyd fumbled and you know that 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 was not a good start for a w- rookie wide receiver and he he came through that pretty pretty well and it wasn't an instantaneous turnaround like T Higgins because um, Tyler Boyd's second year he was actually inactive for a couple of no, games. Tyler he, Boyd had two years where he was basically a non-factor I mean his first year was good that second year was a total non-factor healthy scratches yeah. right yeah healthy scratch a few games and and then all of a sudden year three it just turns around you you hope it doesn't take year three for Jamar Chase but it it, it just shows that yes no matter how good a guy is they all have stories like this where there was a slow start. Very rarely does somebody just hit the ground running and, and light the league on fire. And it's still super early. We're, we're, it, he, Jamar's under a microscope as the number five overall pick, and the, the drops have been more than what you would expect, uh, which just kind of creates a bigger narrative around it. But kind of going back to your column, just pump the brakes on it a little bit. Give it time to work itself out. Um, be interesting to see what happens Sunday, how early and often they target him. We don't know how much the starters are going to play in that game, but it sounds like they are. Um, just the fact that that Zach is weighing the decision whether Trey Hopkins and Joe Burrow will even play, that leads you to believe that, yes, the starters are going to be out there. So, which leads us into <laughs> one last time. Willie he, uh, won't he? <laughs> Well, actually, we'll, we'll be back later this week and we'll know the answer. So this is the last time I guess we debate it without knowing. Um, you know, the preseason thing, um, I, I've kind of stated the opinion so many times on it. I just, if this is what Joe Burrow needs, if he needs to check this box, if he tells you, look, I, I need this, not, I want to play. I need to play to really feel like I've checked that last box before Minnesota, then put him out there. Don't coach scared, put him out there for a series or whatever you want and let him run some safe stuff and and call it a day. Like at some point he's got to go out there and if he needs that, then give it to him. If he says, I, I want to play cause I want to play cause I'm Joe Burrow and I want to play all the time. Uh, then that's different. Would you be fine against Minnesota without it? Sure. Do I want to play? Yeah. Then the answer is it's not necessary then it's, I think it's to me, that's what it is. Ask the guy. I want to know what, what he feels like he needs. And once you know that, then there's your decision. I mean, there's so many ways to go out there and put him out there for a series and not, you know, be concerned. Do safe stuff. Keep it conservative. It's not hard. And you've put so much on him. The, the, the trust is there that you you have to trust his answer. If, he's, if he does say he needs it, that he truly does need it, he's not just saying it because he wants to play. But it's, I mean, the league changed last year. It, it's one of those things where, you know, an unintended consequence where there was no preseason last year. And I think everyone's kind of realized that 
maybe these quarterbacks don't need to play in the preseason. Totally different situation, obviously, with Burrow coming off the injury, but it it's it's been uh, I don't want to say amazing, but it's it's been noticeable how few starting quarterbacks are are playing in the preseason. I mean, I I went and looked it up, and there's only six starting quarterbacks that have thrown double digit pass attempts so far in the league. There's 17 starting quarterbacks that have yet to throw a single pass in the preseason. Aaron Rodgers hasn't thrown a pass in the preseason since week two of 2018, and he was two of four in that game. I mean, he is he's a totally different animal altogether. But it, I think you're seeing a, a trend turn here where the, these guys, you, the injury risk is is too great, and, and you you don't feel like you need to stick them out there. Now, maybe that all changes. I, I guess every team's going to approach week three different. Is it going to look like the old week three where it's a dress rehearsal? Is it going to look like the old week four where it's it's all scrubs? Um, but it's it is noticeable. And, and those guys that have thrown double-digit passes are rookies like Trevor Lawrence, who they're trying to get settled in, or guys that are in position battles where maybe they're the leading candidate to start, but it's not it's not settled yet. Jameis Winston, Drew Locke, Cam Newton, Tua. Um, the, the one outlier there is Patrick Mahomes. He's thrown 20 passes already, um, an established MVP in the league. But everybody else down or Andy Dalton four, Jimmy Garoppolo three, Tom Brady two. And then you got this whole list of zeros with Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, another injured guy. But it's just it, it just feels like last year made kind of woke people up to the fact that yeah, that you don't really need it it might help to play him, but you don't need to play him. Right. I think the only time you will see quarterbacks play in the preseason anymore is in unique situations. Rookie guy coming back from injury that needs it said you know i mean that burrow would be one of the he's sort of one of those tweener situations where it's like do you need it do you not Mm -hmm. um with the rest of it i feel like justin herbert no you know any of these guys that have played that are solid there's no battle there's no issue they're just kind of they're not going to play they're not they're not gonna throw they're not gonna drop back um and so you know that's I think I agree with you, Jay. I think this is just part of what the preseason is, and I, I don't think it will make that big of a difference. I think it will take one series, one, two series against Minnesota for Burrow to be back exactly where he needs to be, and and that's fine. That's everybody's going to be going through that just in some respect. Yeah, uh, you have other preseason stats. I do. You know, look at you. <laughs> It, it, I said this earlier. It, it is preseason stats, so take it for what it is. But I mean, what what was everybody talking about last year and free agency this year is the Bengals' offensive line and the defensive line. Can they protect the quarterback? Can they go get the quarterback? Well, through two plus weeks of the preseason, the Bengals are tied for first in pressures per game with eight and a half. And they are, and this is according to Sport Radar, who their, their pressure numbers are a, a little lower. I, I think I think Pro Football Focus is a little more generous with with the numbers they give on pressures. But I just I I, I it was easier to look at an entire team ranking on Sport Radar, so I went that direction. Uh, Bills and Bengals tied eight and a half pressures per game. Pressures allowed per game. Bengals tied for second with two. 
and Denver Broncos first with 1.5. Sacks allowed, Bengals tied for first, one with New England. I mean, even though the numbers are a little lighter on pro football, on sport radar than they are pro football focused, they're still the same for everybody. And to have the Bengals at the top of the league in those three categories, even though it's preseason, it's still a meaningful turnaround for an area that they, for two areas that they had to have that kind of turnaround. Um, one thing I want to point out was something we didn't talk about in the game against Washington. And that was chase young. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he had 10 pass rushes and no pressures and Jonah Williams was, uh, was perfect against him. And, that's something. That's a real guy. That's like goes back to the Carl Lawson, Trent Williams thing. This it, he was out there trying to get after the quarterback, and and the dude that you know absolutely just annihilated Cam Newton the week before, and, and doesn't get back there. There have been a lot of great reviews about what Jonah Williams has been in camp and, and thus far, to make people believe that he's going to have a really good year, uh, a year where he takes a pretty big jump, and so. I think that was something notable that no one's really talked much about from the other day, but that plays into the pressures thing as well. Uh, when you're talking about it, feeling like you have something really solid at left tackle that can go a long way. Absolutely. And and there, it wasn't all, I mean, there were some short passes, but there, Brandon Allen dropped back and threw some deeper ones too. It wasn't like just quick, get the ball out where there's not really going to be a chance to get pressures. Um, so encouraging sign for Jonah, encouraging for the entire offensive line that they're, they're just, they are keeping the quarterback upright. And we should mention, I briefly, briefly mentioned it earlier. The first real Burrow deep ball connection happened on Tuesday, on Monday, in Monday's practice. Uh, Joe Burrow with a deep ball, 40, 50 yards. Hard for us to tell because we're stuck back behind it um, in the other end zone. But 40, 50 yard bomb to T. Higgins over the top of Bates and Bell who were sucking up a little bit on Jamar Chase running underneath him. And Burrow drops a dime. Higgins catches it. Deep ball touchdown. Big sigh of relief from some of the coaching staff on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Been waiting for that. Been waiting for that and needing to see that happen. We've all kind of been wanting to see it. And I think uh, that's something as we get closer now, within weeks of the opener, uh, a big deal, big play from Monday's practice to, to get people uh, feeling better about the state of the offense, and and Burrow hit t- Higgins in a red zone for a red zone touchdown too, and and threw it kind of the way he needs to when he throws to him and Auden Tate puts it up there where only those guys can get it. And Higgins went up, made a nice catch. It was it was a good day for the offense, um, not just Jamar Chase. Uh, no drops, uh, had a touchdown, but all the way around that that deep ball, the one that to CJ Uzama last week was just a easy one. He got so far behind the defense because it was a it's kind of a a, a play action short yardage thing where they sucked everybody up. This one, that was the true good coverage down the field shot to T Higgins. And that's the guy. If you were putting, if, if you were putting money on who would be the one that would get the first real connection, I think that's the guy that everybody expects. So it was, it was, it was good to see um, after where are we now? Three weeks in, four weeks in, four weeks in. <laughs> Finally can talk about what, <laughs> T. Higgins' arrow up season is upon us, by the way. Continues to be as people are going through their fantasy drafts. Uh, he's, he's the one. He's the one uh, that is probably – I don't know ADP 
on T. Higgins right now is I'm still weeks away from from my draft, but I'm going to tell you that he probably should be higher than whatever his ADP is right now. Uh, all right, that will wrap. Oh, no, you have Bengals growler bet. We have to recap from last week. I lost. J1, that's all I want to talk about it. <laughs> we just end that right there, be done with it. Uh, we'll have a new growler bet uh, for the game Sunday. We'll have that in Thursday's episode. Uh, when we take a closer look at Miami and everything that's going on there as we get ready to wrap up the preseason, thank God. So, uh, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. We will talk to you next time. I hear that podcast growling. Have a good one, everybody.